Hello, everyone. Should we pray? Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. And I thank you, Lord, that uh, we have Christ and we have an inheritance that doesn't fade. Uh, Lord, you are today and you are the same forever. I thank you for our salvation in Jesus. Lord, would you please be glorified now? And would your spirit uh, empower us to, to see Christ? Would you help me to preach Christ? And would we all be mutually blessed by the preaching of your word. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when I think about how I've grown in my Christian life, and not just that, but how I've come to learn of Jesus, one thing I've seen in my own life is it's been characterised by unlearning and learning of him taking the things that are from culture or culture Christianity or from the things I was told wrong about Jesus and throwing them away and filling them with things about the true Jesus as we see in the Bible. But this matters very so in this side of eternity. It matters who you see Jesus as not only for your eternal security, but also for your assurance and joy as a Christian. Last week we looked at Jesus pronounced as the King of Jews, and we looked at the response from him being a King of Jews from the Magi who came to look for him, to worship him, and on the other hand, Herod, the king, he was unbelieving. And we saw the right response was to believe upon Jesus, to worship him, for he was the king of Jews and certainly the king of everyone. But today we're going to see how Jesus fulfills the teachings from the prophets of what is to come, who this Messiah is to be. So, I haven't made a slide, but let me just break it down um, to you. We're going to look at the Messiah, God's chosen son, the Messiah, the consolation, the Messiah, and Nazarene. So let's break it down and let's go through this. And by God's grace, we'll see the Messiah and the one who came to fulfill the foretold word of God by the prophets. So let's get into our first section, the Messiah, God's chosen son, verses 13 to 15. And we're going to see here that Moses doesn't just, take, doesn't just take the story of Jesus, he intertwines the events of Israel from the days of old demonstrate who Jesus is in his identity. So let me read verses 13 to 15. When he had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, 
for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled with the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now the major leave Bethlehem after worshipping and acknowledging Jesus as the king, presenting gifts to him. Joseph, the head of the family whom Matthew presents as godly and faithful to the commands of God, gets up with another set of orders and a revelation and a dream to him, a special revelation from God given by an angel. And it carries, again, a command, escape to Egypt, and a forewarning, Herod is going to search for the child to end his life. But you notice, Jesus, though harmless and as an infant, needing the minute-by-minute care of Mary, is already plunged into persecution and humiliation and the hatred of Herod. But why? Because he was revealed as the king of Jews. Herod being a king of his own does not want to be taken hold of or does not want to have his kingdom ended. You see, it's very common, isn't it, when we tell people about our faith, we tell people about Jesus, it's only when we tell them about who this Jesus is according to the Bible do they then feel threatened or want to reject him. Because when the identity of Jesus is revealed, we see people wanting to reject him or even worship him. But let's continue. Now supposedly, it would have been a week's journey having heard of this revelation and faithfully taking Mary and the child Jesus, the infant Jesus, to Egypt. It would have been a week's journey to Egypt, 90 miles alone, just to the border. Providentially, Egypt was outside of Herod's jurisdiction. It was a common place to seek refuge from danger and a significant Jewish population also lived in Egypt as well. So it made perfect sense. Yet the question is, was this just a good decision in light of providence? Is God simply just being reactive in all that he's doing against um, Herod and his plans and schemes? Well, definitely not. This is much more greater than just a good decision by Matthew's word, it's a fulfillment of what the Lord has said through the prophets. And with that, we have to recognize that that being from the prophets and what the Lord has said means that the whole Bible is the word of God. And all the prophets have said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was true words that were meant to be fulfilled through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And so without the Old Testament, you don't have the New Testament. Without the New Testament, you don't have the Old Testament, for each goes hand in hand. But let's look at the text of what this means when he refers to out of Egypt. Out of Egypt I called my son. For Jesus fleeing to Egypt, 
is an fulfillment of what was spoken of by the prophets in the Old Testament. We see this. Matthew, by the influence of the Holy Spirit, calls prophets Hosea's words to Israel at a time they're worshipping Baal. Oops, have I got my notes wrong? I think I got my notes wrong. No, I don't have my notes wrong. I printed on one side just so I made sure that I wouldn't take the wrong notes. But let's continue. So he recalls Prophet Hosea's words to Israel at the time of worship. I mean, at the, t- at the time Israel, at the day of God's being God's people, have worshipped Baal and adhering herself to pagan practices. And they're no longer being people of God. They're never worshipping God as they should. And they're under the threat of the Assyrian's empire. In their unfaithfulness, the prophets raised by God exposes their sins and tells them of his discipline that is to come. Hosea speaks of God's unfailing love and faithfulness to his people, taking the form of a father and addressing them as son. And what he's doing is recalling the Exodus story. He is recalling the Exodus story. God rescuing his people from 400 years of captivity from the hands of Pharaoh and bringing them together as a new community into a covenant relationship with himself. What is Matthew communicating to him? Communicating here. And I didn't say, but I'm referring to Hosea and chapter 11, verses 1. So do the right that you do want to. But what is Matthew communicating here? As we draw back to our original passage, for just as God called his son Israel out of Egypt, his chosen people, so Matthew demonstrates that Jesus is the true son of God, his chosen one who eventually comes out of Egypt and will represent God perfectly and fulfill the covenant law Israel could never fulfill. This Jesus Christ, the, the King of Jews, will come and save his people. How? Well, he will represent Israel's place, Israel. He will represent God's true son. And as we heard, as we remember, when Christ is baptized, he comes out. The Father's, the Father's present, the Holy Spirit receives present also. And Jesus being there, we hear a voice from the Father saying, This is my son who I'm well pleased. And at the very same time, Jesus comes and says, I have come to fulfill the law. And by being God's chosen son who's come to fulfill the law, he's able to save us. He's able to save Israel. He's able to bring about a new covenant, which he will bring about through the blood that he was shed on the cross for all. And by all who will believe will be saved and have salvation in his name. For as we have read and remember, he will save his people from their sins. Not just Israel, but all people who come to have faith in him. So moving on to our next section, verses 16 to 18. The Messiah, the consolation. The Messiah, the consolation. 
The verses before us paint a dark image of the human heart when hardened with unbelief and set against God. And we see that again, we see that in Herod. The scripture of the human suffering we see described in this section may be daunting to think of, even now as we think about all the images, the storylines, the news, and all the media we've seen recently. Yet we are to look briefly into this section and we are to be drawn into the grievous sin and pain. But we won't be left there. We won't be left hanging there as we consider the pain and the pain that's caused by sin. By God's grace, we'll see victory and joy because Jesus Christ is going to be the consolation as we see for Israel and will be the consolation for the whole world and for those who will believe. Let's read verses 16 to 18. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel's weeping for her children and refused to be comforted because they are no more. Remember the Magi were warned also in a dream not to return to Herod. And so Herod is left waiting waiting, waiting anxiously till he realises he's been disrespected as a king. That he lies, his lies of so-called good intentions were found out and exposed by God and given to the major to be warned and so they didn't go back to him. So he realises his plans have failed and so he decides to take upon himself to be like a lesser pharaoh who decided to murder the baby boys of Israel when they were in captivity. Herod is going to systematically cut short the lives of those infants and he does this by looking at the location, Bethlehem, that's where he was meant to be born. And by a rough idea of Jesus' birth when the major came to him. We may be led to think this was thousands of souls who were slaughtered by it, agreed by many that there was no more than 10 to 30 children. However, it doesn't take away from the anguish and pain and of innocence these little ones are deservedly face. For Herod doing so shows the extent he would go through to go and destroy Jesus. Yet as we see, this again is a fulfillment of that spoken by the prophets, especially Jeremiah. And that even in the midst of evil and suffering and good, I mean bad, God is able to bring good about it. It's helpful to understand Jeremiah prophesies of God's incoming judgment of Israel's disregarding God. When we look back at the quotes and look back at Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, and what it's about. He's speaking of God's incoming judgment on Israel because they have altogether forsaken him. 
And as a result, God's going to bring in discipline and he's going to make his people be overrun by the Babylonian Empire. And his people are going to be in exile for 70 years. Now, bear with me on this because it's a bit of explanation. Now, regarding Jeremiah 13, 15, Jeremiah prophesies that the coming, that the time, the time coming when Israel will be set, sent into exile. And as you look at the verse, the prophecy that Matthew is giving us, Ramah, being north of Jerusalem, will be led to the road, well, will lead to the road where prisoners will be exiled in chapter 40 of Jeremiah. And the suffering and grief, as some were perhaps killed or kept for captivity, is represented as mourning and great weeping that will take place. Right, so that's the, that's the prophecy. That's almost the first half of what Matthew is quoting. But still thinking about this, what does Jeremiah say? Or what's he referring to when we look at the other half? And it says, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Well, the Lord through Jeremiah likens this suffering to Rachel's grief, the suffering that's going to come upon the people of Israel in the book of Jeremiah. He likens his suffering to Rachel's grief in Genesis 35. For, of course, Jacob had two wives back in Genesis 35. Leah, who bears a son, and Rachel, who is loved by Jacob, but falls into competition with Leah and desires a boy and desires a child. Yet in a given birth, which eventually does happen, after years and years, on the way to the promised land, she faces difficulty and she did not survive the birth. And in her last breath, she named her son Benoni, or Benoni, son of my trouble. For she did not see the promised land, nor did she see the children in her children in the land of the promised land. Such grieving pain with no desire for comfort accompanied Rachel in her dying last few breaths. It accompanied God's people in exile, and here too it accompanies the mothers of infants being slain by Herod. And so much so that the cries even go to Ramah, which is five miles from Bethlehem. The cries, because of the extent of the pain, even goes further. But, and it's a big but, we're not left hanging there. Looking back at the looking back at, back at the extract of Matthew gives us he gives us a he gives us Jeremiah thirty one, which is sandwiched in between Jeremiah thirty and Jeremiah thirty three, where God speaks of His restoration and healing of the people of Israel. See, God's not a God who disciplines forever; He's a God who disciplines in order for us to be restored back to Him, and He's a loving God, which is why He disciplines. He consoles them, tells them to no longer be grieving, but to rejoice, for the loss will be rewarded and it will not be in vain. He will remember their sin no more, and he will raise up a king from the line of David, 
that of course will be Jesus. So as we think about this, think about those infants and those mothers. It's like saying to them, weep no more. For though your little infants, though taken, they shall be with the Lord. Though it was death by solution with regards to the age, though their death almost be like a martyrdom, the promised land is secured by Christ with his salvation. Like Jesus says, let the little children come to me by believing in the coming line of David, Jesus Christ you'll be reunited to your children. It's the same for Israel. Though they were in spiritual darkness and with a king who fears not God and has caused pain upon the people rules, and though people of Israel reject Jesus Christ and crucify this Jesus Christ, Yet they will be saved. There will be a remnant for the people of Israel. And they too will be saved and find consolation in Christ. And it's the same for us. He indeed is our consolation if we have faith in him. We know as Christians, trouble is, is promised in this life of faith in Jesus. For the Bible says, if we desire to live holy lives, then we should be sure we're going to face persecution mockery and unfair treatment will be somewhat of our portion. We may feel the weight of sin and even our own and we may hear the accuser in our ears constantly reminding us of our sin. We face disappointments in life, sickness, death, death of loved ones, uncertainty at times. But Jesus is our present and future consolation. In the same breath, we can feel weight of this world. We can feel upheld by Jesus. And while we have, while we feel that, that weight of, oh sorry, in the same way we can feel the weight of this world, we can feel upheld by Jesus while we behold the glories that awaits us because of what Christ has done. So he's our present and our future consolation. You see, we'll be with him dressed in righteousness alone. That was earned by him coming, the one that pleased God, fulfilling the law. And we will enter into that new city where he wiped away every single tear, where there'll be no more suffering. And his glories will be before us shine ever bright, forever and ever, in perfect communion and love with Christ. So as we think about the new year, and think about what's before us, we can trust and look to Jesus. I saw a meme the other day, a meme was like a picture with sort, sort of um, words, and they always like speak some sort of truth that's funny or that can be relatable. And it talked about in its words, it said, 
have you guys stopped saying that 2024 20, is going to be my year? And in the last few years, we've seen that the whole idea of this year being my year is, is completely false and won't work because we've done what's around the corner, we've done what's before us, but we can trust and believe in Jesus. Whatever happens, whatever is before us, he'll be our consolation. In our section, let's look at verses 19 to 23. The Messiah in Nazarene. Let me read. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and took the child and mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achaeus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in the town of called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. In this last section of our text, we come to understand another fulfillment that Matthew has pinpointed in the life of Jesus as a child. Significantly, it's to do with him leaving and settling in Galilee, Nazareth. Herod is no longer alive, therefore an angel comes to bring him news of this and commands Joseph with child and mother, go to the land of Israel. Yet even on his way, he hears Archelaus is reigning in place of father Herod, which disturbed him. Because obviously it's his son who's now in place in rule. And rightly so, Archelaus was no different to his, his father and act wickedly to those around him, even go as far as causing a massacre of Jews, a massacre towards Jews in a celebration of the Passover. But praise be to God, he watches over his people, his children, and he warns Joseph, mother and child, don't go back to, don't go back, go instead to Galilee, Nazareth. We are told this was fulfilled through the prophets, that Jesus would grow as a Nazarene. No, however, it isn't the same as the last two fulfillments of the prophecies that we see from the prophets of old. See, they, those were direct quotes that were given in the last two quotes or extracts by Matthew. And so what is Matthew doing here? Well, Matthew is not referring to any specific Old Testament prophecy that tells of Jesus being a Nazareth or an, sorry a Nazarene, or that he was called a Nazareth a Nazarene. Right, it's a common understanding that jointly together through all the prophets, they speak of a general theme of Jesus regarding his appearance, reputation, standing amongst others concerning how he was viewed. 
Nazareth, no more than a small village with a population of between 2,000 and 1,600 people. It was insignificant. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It was despised. And so when Jesus began his public ministry and he went to recruit his disciples, and when he went to Nathaniel, with, of course, Philip, who he had to recruit first, Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, we have found the one of Moses wrote about in the law and about whom prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And you would think of Nathaniel being excited and happy. But yet he replies to Philip and says, can anything good come from there? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nazareth was a place despised by the common people of Israel. Insignificant. And when we look at the Old Testament prophets and what they said about Jesus, let me read a few. Isaiah 53, verses 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Psalm 22, verses 6 to 7. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make, they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Isaiah 49, 49, verse 7. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to whom who was despised and abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see you and bow down. Because the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, has chosen you. This infant will be the Nazarene, who though was in the line of David and holds the riches as a son of God, came not with majesty. He didn't come to be highly esteemed by others, but he came as a truly humble king came to fulfill prophecy and as we think about all of this in the recorded story of Jesus as the infant we see a few things there was hatred from rulers seeking to kill Jesus because he was pronounced the king of Jews locations, locations such as Egypt Bethlehem, Rama, Nazareth the revelations given to Jesus, I mean, given to Joseph, mother and child, down even to Joseph Mary playing a part. Matthew ties all of this to demonstrate that Jesus is the sent Messiah of God. He's shown us what unfolded was hundreds of years of prophecy concerning his son. And we may not be Jews reading us today. And so we often have to do a bit of groundwork because we have to look back in Old Testament. And we may not be as familiar, familiar as, it, as the Jews. But it shows that we ought to be reading and spending more time in the whole counsel of God's word, especially the Old Testament, to better understand the New Testament and to better see the glories of Jesus and the identity of Jesus as we've seen. 
But it's a good question to think about how do you respond to Jesus? In your unlearning of the false things of Jesus and your learning of the new things of Jesus concerning his word and what the prophet said, how do you respond to him? Because with knowledge comes the need to respond in this life. You see the faith of the Magi, you see Joseph and Mary, they bowed the knee, they were obedient, they worshipped Christ. They went through undesirable circumstances for Jesus and threats loomed over their heads, but still they treated him as the one true king, the Messiah. But then you see, on the other hand, Herod, who though received revelation of Jesus Christ, just like others did, did not believe in him, did not treat him as the true king to trust him. We can be like Herod, not in the sense that we go on a murder spree, but in the sense that we put off Jesus, we keep putting Jesus off and put him off and not trusting in what's being built to us of who Jesus is. And so the question is, where do you see yourself? Are you believing upon Jesus, trusting upon him? Or have you not come to believe in him yet? Because the Bible says, every knee will bow down to Christ. Every single knee will bow down to Christ. And so it's good to consider, if you have not come to Christ, to think about the decision, not in the next side of eternity, for it will be too late, but during this time, this side of eternity. For this Jesus Christ will again be called the King of Jews, which will be written on a cross. He will be taken outside the walls of Jerusalem, extremely mocked. And he will face the judgment of our sins he will take on that cross. And he will bring salvation to many people. So the question is, will you believe upon him as the true king? Because this king will come back and he will set his kingdom here. Why don't we spend some time briefly praying? Why don't I pray to finish us off? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Christ that he is the chosen one the true representative of Israel and the one to come and fulfill all of the law that Israel could not. The son that you are pleased with. I thank you. He is our consolation as he was Israel's. And I thank you that he is the true humble king. And though was humbled even more on the cross. And so I pray, Lord, you would move us to believe in him more, to take joy and assurance of Christ and who he is. But if, none of, if anyone of us here, Lord, are not saved, I pray you may impress upon their hearts to come and believe upon Jesus. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.